The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to be. We've been going through the book of Luke. We're actually finishing a series today called Groundwork and um, dealing with the temptation of Jesus. And, and, and as I was praying about this, um, God just wanted me to talk about getting out of the wilderness because there's a lot of times we feel like we get stuck in the wilderness and, and we, we find ourselves in a situation where, where we, we might want to give up. And, and um, a couple of years ago, I was in Colorado hiking and and I was, the last day, I'd done about eight or nine miles a day, and then the last day, I wanted to go up to the Continental Divide, and uh, I had been severely dehydrated the day before, and so I was up all night drinking water, and I was like, I want to do this. I've got to do this. I had to just set in my mind, and so I set out in the morning with a friend of mine, and as we were going, he, he was getting sick, and so he said, I can't, I'm not going to go all the way to the top. Um, I've been there. I've hiked this trail before, but you go ahead, go on ahead. I'll meet you at the base. I'll go ahead and meet you back at the, at the area. I'll just be messing around down at the bottom of the camp and, um, go do this. This is a great experience. So I start out by myself at this point. And, and I don't know if you've ever hiked in Colorado, but the high altitude jacks with you, the air's thin. And, and it's, it's kind of, I started the hike in shorts, actually my shants. Um, and sh- if you don't know what shants are, those are the pants that unzip. And, and they were, ag- and Heather's not in here, so I'll tell you, they were the best thing for that hike. And you know why? Because I started in shorts. As I'm climbing, I had to zip the legs on, you know. Then I end up, I end up in shorts and a t-shirt. At the top, I'm in my pant, my shants were zipped legs, which would be awesome on a day like today, you know, with the rain. You know, walking through the water, you just unzip them. You walk in, then you get in, you zip them, you're like, styling, Right? <laughs> Those are the only places Heather will let me wear them out of the house. That and the men's camp out. Um, but I, I, and I ended in a, a hat, gloves, and a jacket. But I was, I was climbing. I mean, I was just getting tired. I was getting exhausted. And I just started thinking, I could just stop here. I mean, I'd look around, and, and I started getting a little worried because it's, if, if it gets late in the day, this is above the tree line. A lot of people in Colorado get struck by lightning because there's, you're the tallest thing around. It's not because you're sinning, it's just because you're the tallest thing around, right? Which I think is funny in church. People are like, if you say something that might be a little questionable and they like step back, like lightning's gonna strike. Uh, here's what I'll tell you. God's that good of a shot. He doesn't need you to move back. Anyway, but in, so I, I'm, getting off, off, I'm getting off path here. So I was fighting this temptation to just give up and thinking, you know, the view's good enough here. I can take a picture, take a selfie, and, and I, I've made it this far and then, and then just go back down. And then somebody would be coming down the trail, and they're the excited ones. You know, if you're walking up, you're grumpy because you're tired. The people come down, and they're they're trying to be encouraging. They're like, oh, you're almost there. Okay, define almost, because I've been hiking all day. (laughs) And this thing's just going up and up and up. And one guy said, when you see the snowpack, you're just like right there. I said, okay. So I start walking. I'll go. So I see the snowpack. And I'm like, I'm almost there. Two hours later... I'm at the snowpack, and it's another hour hike from there, and I was fighting that temptation, and I finally get to the top, and it was so rewarding. I was excited. I got up there. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I took a selfie and just hung out for a minute, and it was middle of July, and I knew that everybody back in Texas was frying, 
And I'm sitting up there freezing, and I was like, ha, ha, I'm going to remember this. And, and so then I started to hike down. But it's amazing that when we get in those times where we're just, the road gets hard, and we're just pressing, and we feel alone, and that, that some people call that the wilderness time, where you just feel like God's not there, and it's hard to hear from God, or you've ex- you're experiencing some pain or some hurt, and you're just in this wilderness. It's, it's amazing how the temptation comes in at that point. And Jesus is tempted. We see him go into the desert, and when we start thinking about where, where are you, God, in verse 1, it says this in chapter 4, it says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, that's where he was baptized, and was, I underline this in my Bible, led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So when we find ourselves in the wilderness, we find ourselves in that kind of that dry place or that, that dark time in our life, and we wonder, where are you, God? Um, he answers, I'm right here. Now, we could, we could go into some, some teachings on, well, how did you get into the wilderness? Was it your own fault? Because I can get myself lost very easily. But we also have to recognize that sometimes God leads us into those places because there's some things that need to happen in the wilderness. And it's amazing how that temptation can come when, when we're in those times. And Jesus faced temptation. Jesus has faced every temptation that we will ever face and has been victorious. I mean, in Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, it says, we don't have this high priest in Jesus who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he has been tempted in every way and yet was without sin. So he was tempted and was victorious. Now, you need to understand something about temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. The sin happens when we give in to that temptation. And we see that Jesus was victorious and could stand under every one of those temptations without sinning. And he's faced them all. And so, you know, I started thinking, okay, he's faced them all. Okay, well, Jesus, you didn't have the internet when you went into the desert. Jesus, you didn't have all of the, the toys. Jesus, you didn't have iPhone 7. Because we know the 8's coming. Uh, for me, I love trucks. I love cars. If it can go through mud, if it can go fast, I mean, I'm all about it. Well, Jesus, you didn't have, you didn't have that. And so I start thinking, Jesus, have you really been tempted in every way I've been tempted? And as I was thinking about this and praying about it, I just, just felt like God was saying, yes, I have. Now, the wrapping may look different, but at the core, temptation is the same. And what we're going to see with the enemy through these temptations is that he's trying to get Jesus off of the mission, off of his main focus. And his main focus was reconciliation. His main focus was through his life, his death, and his resurrection for you and I to have a relationship that's reconciled with God because we're not good enough to get to God. There's nothing we can do that that can make us good enough to get to God. It happens because of Jesus. And, and, And the enemy's trying to get Jesus off of this mission. And so I want us to look, we've probably heard this story about Jesus being tempted, but I want us to look at this at a little bit deeper level this morning, because I believe that some of us in this room are in a desert or in a wilderness time, and this morning's the time when God's calling us out of it. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit, he's here. I mean, God's presence is in this place, and incredible things happen in the presence of God. And I'm praying that this morning you deal with some things that are going on in this wilderness. 
And let's, let's look at Jesus. Here we go. So he's led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, understand this, and when his fast was ended, he was hungry. It's one of those moments where you want to say to Luke, duh. I mean, I, the King James, I love this. It says, he was a hungered. Now, in my family, we call that grungry. Your family, you may call it hangry. Either way, it's where angry and hungry come together or grumpy and hungry come together and you don't want to be around Matt. You want to get me a snack while you're trying to figure out what restaurant we're going to go eat at. Last week, uh, somebody said, I'm going to open up a restaurant and name it, I don't care. And so when that argument starts happening, honey, where do you want to go eat? I don't care. I'm on my way. (laughs) I was like, why didn't I think of that? probably make a couple hundred bucks off of that. He was hungry. No kidding. When I started reading the Bible, I asked God, show me the irony, show me the funny, show me the heavy. Man, just let let me, pull me into this. This is your inspired word, God. Pull me into this. So he was hungry. And when they were ended, um, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now on the surface, this looks like a temptation for Jesus to do a magic trick and turn a rock into bread. Or or, or we think this is a temptation about food. Here's the reality. Um, On the surface, we can look at that and say yes, but the depth at the core of this temptation, it's, it's revealing a true appetite. What what he's doing is he's understanding Jesus is hungry and he's saying, look, I know you're hungry. You haven't had food for 40 days. When we do the Daniel fast as a church in January, we don't eat, I don't eat meat and and I'm a meatitarian. I'm telling you, I mean, I, I, meat is, it's a staple in my diet. I am a recovered vegetarian, fully healed, fully redeemed vegetarian. And for those 21 days, I can't eat meat and I can't eat bread. And what do you think is on my mind those 21 days? I want a chopped brisket sandwich so bad. I want a Chick-fil-A biscuit. I just give me something with meat and bread. That's the way to my heart. And some of you are like, no, bread's bad carbs. I'll pray for you, Okay. <laughs> I love carbs. I didn't get this body by hating carbs, man. This takes work. I think it's ironic, though, that Jesus is saying to the bread of life, hey, make some bread. I mean, can you imagine what Jesus is thinking? Like, you're an idiot, dude. But here's what's happening. He's saying, Jesus, I know you're hungry, so make this into your food. What he's trying to do is to get Jesus to take something that, honestly, bread's morally neutral. Now, if you're good carb, bad carb, whatever you, wherever you are in the dietary spectrum, bread is good. It's neutral. We'll just say it that way. So he's saying, like, this, take this bread and make this bread the focus because I know you've been hungry and you've been fasting for 40 days, and so have some bread. Eat, Jesus. What he's trying to do is to get Jesus to take this bread and make that his priority. Make that the object. Make that his focus. What the temptation comes in, when the temptation comes in our life, the devil is trying to get us to either create or feed an appetite that ultimately will never satisfy us. 
Because after church last night, I took Heather and Abby out to dinner. And I ate, I mean, I ate. I ate meat and I ate bread. And I ate fried stuff. And it was awesome. But you know what happened? I woke up this morning hungry. It doesn't satisfy. And what the enemy tries to do with this temptation is to get us to focus on an appetite, make something the ultimate that's never going to satisfy us. See, Jesus could answer this temptation, temptation because he said, I'm the bread of life. I'm no, I've got something that's better than that already. And some of you are like, I'm not tempted by bread. You've got an appetite for something, and the enemy watches that. I mean, for th- you could put anything. It's anything that the enemy tries to get as number one. It's called idolatry. He wants to replace Jesus as the primary focus of your life and your heart and your attention and your affection, and he wants something else on that throne. And that's an, that becomes our appetite. It, for some, it's money. And we know you've got to have money to live. It takes money to live. I mean, it just is. I mean, money comes in, money goes out. We got bills, we got mortgages, we got things we got to do. Church is the same way, family is the same way. But we can get so focused on that where that becomes our appetite. Well, what do you mean that becomes my appetite? Well, if if money is that, that thing that's ultimate in your life, then what happens is all of your relationships center around making more money. We call it networking. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's a, networking is like bread. It's a neutral thing. But what happens is our intentions and our focus is I gotta get more money. And, and you're, the friends that you bring into your life, are only you're using them to get more of what you want. And you're cutting relationships with people that you think are a drain. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, your, your career and you just advancement and authority and power, promotion, whatever it is. The enemy is tempting us to either create or feed and grow an appetite that ultimately will never sustain us. And it doesn't work. And Jesus answers, man's not supposed to live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God is how he responds in Matthew. I've already got something better. The appetite, see that, yeah, money, it's neutral. I mean, people misquote that verse all the time. No, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. No. Or they say money is the root of all kinds of evils. The love of money. What does it mean? Because when I love it, I make that the object of my affection, and everything I do is seeking to get more of that. It's feeding an appetite. So, so Jesus goes on. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. And said to him, to you, Jesus, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then, Jesus, if you will, if you will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So what happens is the devil takes him up. He's like, you see all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus? If, if you'll just surrender to me, if you'll just submit to me, I'll give you all the authority and the glory that comes from that authority. Because here's the thing, authority and glory kind of go together. If I have authority, then I feel glorified because I have, I have power. I, it, which, again, the irony is coming up in me because it's like, okay, you've got the Son of God who Jesus is, is, 
is the, he's the word of God. He was with the word. The word was with God. He was in the beginning. All things are created by him, for him, and through him. And so he's thinking, hmm, I spoke all of this into existence, and you're saying you're going to give it to me if I surrender to you? But ultimately, what the enemy is trying to do, he's, he's playing off of pride here. Because remember, the this first sin that happened with the enemy to get him cast out of heaven was pride. I want to be God. What, is, what does that mean? I want control. So the temptation when the enemy comes at us fuels this desire for control by messing with our pride. What he's saying is, Jesus, um, you don't have to go to the cross to get the glory. You can shortcut this, so you just surrender to me. You bow down to me, and then, man, I can cover this. I can take care of this and give you all the glory and the authority, and you don't have to go through the cross. How about that? And Jesus said, I'm only serving God. I'm not bowing to you. See, see, here's the thing. We all want control. If you don't think you don't want control, you're not a parent. Because here's the thing. I've been through the teenage years with two daughters. And here's what I've learned about control and kids. (laughs) How do I say this in church? I'll just say it this way. Control is an illusion. And you think you can control them. And through, there were times all I had was the Holy Spirit, Heather, and the dog. You know, I'm just like, here, Jesus, help me. But the challenge comes when we want control and how we get it. Because Jesus talks about this authority, and, and, and he says, you know, if you want to be first in the kingdom... You got to be last. If you want to be served, serve. So to somebody who has an appetite, we'll say, for control and power, that's an upside down kingdom because you're saying, I've got to be on the bottom if I want to be on top. I don't get this, Jesus. What he's saying is that you humble yourself. And when you're humble, here's what happens. If you're faithful with a little, he'll put you in charge of more. And what, he, what he's saying is that, that if you are the son of God, he'll say this, if you are a Christian, bow down to me, give in to my temptation, and I'll give you the control you're desiring. That authority you're trying to get at work through manipulation, I can give that to you. Okay, the enemy is smart. He's also a liar. Oh, I never told you I was going to give you that. No, 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 we didn't talk about that. But when we get in this appetite for control, our pride tells us that we deserve it. The enemy will stand on our, on our back and say, hey, you deserve that. Things aren't, haven't been going your way. Things aren't going the way you thought they would go, so you just need to take over. And so what happens is we, we stand and look at our life and we go, okay, God, things haven't turned out like I thought. I thought I'd be married by now. God, I didn't, I didn't think I'd be divorced. God, I didn't think I'd struggle this much in these areas of my life. God, I thought I'd be farther down the road in these areas. God, I thought you had called me to things that were bigger than, greater than I could ever ask or imagine. And God, why am I here? And the temptation is I'm just gonna take over my life. 
because the plan that God has for my life is just not working out for me. And so I'm gonna figure out another way to get there. And that's the temptation. That's how it's wrapped in our life. Very rarely is the enemy gonna pick us up and take us and show us all the world and say, I'll give you this. What he's gonna do is say, I can make it so you're in control of your family and you can manipulate the decisions. You can manipulate what college they go to. You can manipulate what they're gonna do with this weekend and you can do this. I just, you, just, you just give in to me. And it leads us into this issue where, where pride drives everything we do. And, and some of you are in the desert and, and you... you when you don't have control, um, you start to blame. And some, when they're in the desert or when things aren't going their way, they blame others. This is all their fault. And some who are in the desert and dealing with control because, or they, they turn it and go, this is all my fault because I can't control myself. You wanna see a hot mess, you take those two and put them together in marriage what you end up as a husband, talking to the wife, going, if you would just do this better, if you would take responsibility for this, honey, and do this better, because it's your fault I'm unfulfilled, then things would be good. Our marriage wouldn't be in this dry place if you would just work harder, honey. And then you've got a woman going, if I could just fix this, if I could just do better, if I could just, and she's just trying to please her husband. And she's in this cycle of, this is all my fault. Doesn't end well. And here's the thing. Some of you are in that wilderness because your desire for control has taken you there. And here's what I'll tell you. The Holy Spirit is there. God is there. And he wants that pride to die so that you can walk out of the wilderness with a, with a humble heart, a servant's heart. And submit fully to him. So the first one's about an appetite. The second one's about control. Let's look at this third one, verse nine. And he took him up, he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. So he's like standing up and he's going, if you are who you say you are, Go ahead. Take a step of faith, Jesus. If you are who you say you are, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended, underline this, every temptation, not just those three, every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. He's like, I'll see you later. I'll be back. Here's the thing, if you've got, you got the son of God, the perfect lamb of God, and the devil himself is tempting him, and he stands up under the temptation, the devil says, I'll see you again, I'll be back. Who are you to think when you resist him that you, he's not gonna come back at you? We're gonna live facing and fighting temptation. That's a reality of life. But in this one, it's interesting because he's like, if you are the son of God, step off. Because here's what, here's what, if you are the son of God, then when you step off, the angels are gonna cover you. They're gonna protect you. You're not even gonna hit the ground. So take that step of faith. Here's how that's wrapped in our life. If you are a Christian, if God really loves you, if you really think he's forgiven you, if you really have put your hope in him and you think that his death and resurrection 
is somehow going to save you and make you holy, then go ahead. Step off. Take that step. Because if God really loved you, he wouldn't have brought you to this cliff. If God really loved you, he'd be there to pick you up. Where's he at? I don't see him. Do you see him? And what happens is he starts to tempt us and we, we kind of we step back and he's trying to get us to create a false sense of security. Okay, if I step off, God's gonna fix it. You know what's interesting about these temptations to me is, is the devil doesn't try to get Jesus, the son of God, to step into, into utter wickedness. Really what he's trying to do is get him into comfort. Jesus, I know you're hungry. Eat something. Jesus, I can give you the authority and the comfort of the, the authority and the glory without you having to endure the pain and the shame of the cross. Jesus, I, the angels, and remember, Satan is a fallen angel, so he understands the organization of the angels. I know this, Jesus, that if you are the son of God, when you step off, the angels are gonna protect you. Just play it safe, Jesus. You don't have to deal with this cross. You can shortcut everything. I'll tell you this, comfort is a killer to the purpose of God. Because God, if we try to surround ourselves with comfort, you know what we're building? Our own coffin. And the enemy, wants, the enemy just wants to get us in a comfort zone and play it safe. We had people that went on our trip to Africa two months ago that got a lot of flack from family, from friends, from coworkers. I can't believe you're going to Africa. Do you realize how unsafe that could be? Hey, you're talking, hey, I know how unsafe it could be. I went last year and got hit by a motorcycle. But you know what I did? I dusted my legs off. I got up there, I preached the word of God. You know, devil going to bring a motorcycle me? I looked a lot harder this time because I thought he might bring a bus. You know, <laughs> so I, look, 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 look. No bus, I'm stepping off. Yeah, it could be dangerous. You know what I've learned? Fort Worth is dangerous too. <laughs> you know what I realized yesterday? My house is dangerous. I was doing home improvements yesterday working a table saw. It's just as dangerous as my, in my home as it could be anywhere in the world. I remember praying as I'm sliding those boards across. In the name of Jesus, you created me. You know where my finger's in. Man, please protect my hands. Please protect me, Jesus. But here's what I've learned about safety and God's will. The safest place in all of the world is in the middle of God's will, no matter how volatile the environment is around you. Let me inverse that. The most dangerous place to be is outside of the will of God no matter how safe you think it is. And this security that you think you've manufactured around yourself. Because comfort will kill us. We're not called, God's more concerned about our character than he is our comfort. And God is our protector and he watches over us. But you know what? He says, don't put me to the test. Walk in obedience. I've got your life. I know every part of your being and I care for you. Keep walking in my will. And it doesn't mean we act stupid. There's a fine line between faith and stupid. We're called to walk in faith, not walk in stupid. 
but we walk in a trust. And, and you know what I find interesting is, is this too, is that, that Jesus answered every one of these temptations with the word of God. And I'm never going to undervalue the word of God. We need to read it. We need it in our heart. We need to be spending time in it. But, but because this is the character of our father. This is his love letter to us. This is for us to understand who dad is. Um, there's, da- there's a danger in this. That when you see that Jesus combated temptation by quoting scripture, we can tend to think that the way to get rid of the enemy is know the right verse as the right incantation or potion. You know, we think, we think okay, I've got to, okay, so I'm, I'm fighting temptation, and what's the temptation? Okay, it's this. Okay, I need to figure out a verse for that, and when I say that, the enemy goes away. Or, I mean, you just hit the blank one. Man, the name of the Jesus, the enemy must flee. And he's like, yeah, I know that one. Or we quote, you know, it is written, don't put, your, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And the enemy would be like, yeah, I know that. I know that. Don't get in a Bible trivia fight with the devil because he will whip you because he knows it. What has to happen is the word has to be in our heart so that there's a change. When I was a, a teenager, about 14 years old, you know, they, we did an overnight uh, youth retreat and then the next day they separate the boys and the girls. You know about time puberty hits, you know? And so they bring us boys in a room, they talk about things, and then they give us a verse uh, about lust. And if you've tried to use that, how's that working out for you? It's not just the words from, from Scripture, it's, it's the word in your heart. See, Jesus didn't quote words from the Bible, from the word of God, just to get the enemy out of his face. It was the heart behind it. The Holy Spirit is the power in the word that when he comes out. So what we're doing is we're not quoting the Bible back to the devil to get him to leave us alone. We're walking out the character of our father. And we're called to have that word in our heart. And here's the beauty about it. We are gonna be tempted. We are gonna fall. But there's grace. And grace that helps us. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us draw then near to the throne of grace. And we draw in with confidence so we can come in with confidence so we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. So many of you are beating yourselves up because you continue to fall, you continue to fall, and you're just in this cycle of guilt and shame. And you think, well, grace should be changing me. And why isn't grace moving me? And let me tell you what grace does. Grace picks you up and puts you over the bar. And some of you this morning need to press into the grace of God. Some of you this morning need to handle some of the stuff that are going on. I've been preaching, but the Holy Spirit may have been talking to you. And he may be saying, you know what, there's, there's some appetites we need to deal with. You know what, there's some areas of control and manipulation in your life that we need to, I want, I want to just help you with. I want grace to change. And so I'm going to pray for you, but I, I want you to pray. I want you to handle some business because here's the reality. Some of you guys are in the wilderness this morning and the Holy Spirit's saying, it's time to get out of here. And let's, it, let, let's let grace transform us. Let's let grace change us. And let's start walking out of the wilderness. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you are strong and that you are 
You, you're, you're, you're able to face every temptation. That You have faced every temptation. And you've walked through that with a victory. That you walked into the wilderness led and full of the Holy Spirit. And you walked out of the wilderness led and fully full of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that, that we know we can trust you in the times when we're tempted. We know that, that we can place our faith in you because of grace, because you have been victorious over everything we will ever face. And we thank you, Jesus, that you never let the devil get you off your mission. You didn't give in to an appetite. You stayed focused on the will of the Father. You didn't shortcut anything and you didn't play it safe, Jesus. And because of that, we can be reconciled. And we can enter into a life because of the grace that comes from the cross. Because you walked out the purpose and the mission that you were born for. Holy Spirit, we know that you're in this place this morning. And we're praying, I'm praying for courage. That as you search the hearts of people, that you give them courage to deal with areas in their life that maybe they just haven't been tempted, but there's been failure. And I pray that as you give them courage to deal with that, your grace transforms them and encourages them and gives them help. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.